Today is uh, the 26th of April, 2008. We are returning to our Matthew discussion. It's Matthew part 3. We're uh, talking about lesson 4, which is the discussion on chapter 3. Is that confusing? Hopefully not, by the time we start reading here. Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have uh, given us a sure word, one that is filled with clear and concise instructions for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are not the God of confusion and that you do not uh, deceive. But, Father, that every word that you speak is truth and we can, we can know truth by knowing you. And Father, we commit ourselves to knowing you this morning. We ask that you might open your word for us, that your spirit might illuminate it, and Father, that we might obey what you command. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, well, i got to go back to Matthew chapter 15 before we start. Matthew chapter 23. Those of you started... Uh, I, I, I'm glad you had two weeks to work on your homework. Uh, those of you started... Uh, by the way, Hag Sameach, Pesach. Uh, uh, the, uh, the feast is not over. I, I know that some of you think it was, but uh, it's not. Um, it continues on until Sunday night, and uh, matzah is... Okay. Well, it's not like it's not like quail running out my nose, but uh, it's it's good. It lasts for a week. It is good. We look forward to it. It's hard to eat a cheeseburger on matzah. That's uh, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what you can do with matzah. It is a great is a great time. We had a great Passover. I trust you all had a good Passover too. Uh, and he answered and said to them, that is speaking to some scribes and Pharisees, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? because of your tradition Uh, we would understand this word tradition if it were taken back into the Hebrew either to be something along the lines of halakha or minchag Uh, minchag is a tradition uh, ancestral tradition passed down and then skipping down to the last verse verse 9 well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Those of you who remember our discussion in Matthew chapter 15, this was the discussion of, uh, uh, and then overlaid with Mark chapter 7, eating bread with unwashed hands. Whoa. Uh, it is not a discussion of kosher food or non-kosher food. Even if it was, then you have to question the idea of teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Read all the words in context. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Who does that? I'm sure I do. I, well, you know, this is, you know, I appreciate that, Susie. You know something? That's what I would. That's what I wanted everybody to say right away. Is we do. That's right. We do. Uh, we all teach as doctrines the commandments of men. We need to be very, very careful. Uh, even to the point that we, when it says doctrines, it's an interesting word. Even to the point that we teach uh, theological concepts. As the as the as as uh, as God's concepts, God doesn't teach theological concepts. He gives us His word in its whole, and it's not to be taken out of context. It is complete. It doesn't have to be added to. When I stand up here and expound on it, or sit up here and expound on it, then you know, shame on me, if, or shame on you, if you walk away thinking, well, that's it. That's the truth. That's not the truth. All I'm trying to do is get you to dig and read and understand what God has said as he reveals it. Not because I said it or anybody else says it. What a, what a silly idea. Concepts, theological concepts, theology, is the antithesis of God's word. It's, ex, it's expressing and describing a person, not a concept. He is not a concept. Uh, and when we and when we de- when we depend upon theology for our relationship with the Lord, then we are in very very sad shape, and we're in danger of doing exactly what we see in chapter twenty three of Matthew. We are in danger of hearing him say, "Oilecha, woe to you." Last week, real quickly, huh? Rick, um, Yeshua is referring to Yeshiyahu. The uh, Isaiah 29, uh-huh. 13, because the people draw near with his mouth and his lips, they have a me, and then 
it has kept its heart far from me, and their fear of me has become a command of men that is taught. That's right. He's, he's quoting right from it. A commandment of men. It's, just, it's, a, it's astounding. And you know, I'm, I, here's the thing that I fear more than anything else. I fear that people will ever, or that my sons especially, will ever hear that I, I said something, or I commanded something, or I required something, and, and it, that it came across as that's what God requires. If that's not what he said. We should be afraid of this. It's something we should guard against. We are all are guilty, but we should we should be working and striving to minimizing this tendency on a part of our, our sinful nature. Uh, last week we looked real quick, quickly, and I wanted to touch on this a little bit. The riddle that we found in Matthew twenty two forty one through forty six, where Yeshua speaks to them about Psalm one ten. Psalm one ten is a very important messianic psalm. It has always been a messianic psalm. It was a messianic psalm from the days of the prophets on. This is not a new thing. And so when Yeshua introduces this this uh, this interesting riddle, he says, well, "How is it that David? Now David's now Messiah is supposed to be son of David, right? Yes, yes, Messiah is supposed to be son. Now how is it that David says that 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 that, that Hashem says to David?" My Lord, sit at my right hand. Why does he call him my Lord? How's that possible? You know, how's that work? Hashem said to Adoni, my Lord, Messiah was to be son of David. So if Psalm 110 spoke of Messiah, then David was addressing his descendant, his descendant as Adoni, my Lord. How can he, descend, how can he describe his son as my Lord? And this is this, is this riddle. Well, it gets them... It, it gets them all beflux, not because they hadn't considered the riddle. Not at all. But they couldn't answer him. <laughs> because if they answered him truthfully, they would have answered because he's Messiah. Right? So, they were, if they had agreed or if they had answered, it's kind of like one of those trick questions. If they had answered, they would have been saying, you're Messiah, but we still reject you. Which is actually exactly what they thought. You think I'm wrong. You go and you study it. There's a great number of these leaders who actually understood, yes, he is, but we do not, we cannot accept him because this, is, this would be counterproductive to our power. That's, that's pretty brazen, isn't it? That's, that's like scary stuff. We're not going to accept the anointed of God. I don't need. Yes. Yes. It doesn't have. Yeah. The. The. the yeah. It's Adoni, my my Lord, okay. which is probably what Adonai means. Yeah, my Lord. Uh, but it is Adoni. Yeah, my Lord. Uh, Messiah was. Uh, it, it, this riddle becomes the chief charge against Yeshua. And when we get to Matthew at the end here, I'm just saying, when we get to Matthew at the end here, we're going to see this charge come back. Yes, Gene. Going back to Isaiah 29, mm-hmm. verse 10. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't open it up. Read verse 10 for me. Uh, great. For Hashem has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and the clothes of the prophets. Yeah. Now, Yeshua quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 earlier, and it's very similar, where a people that are, the people that are, you know, go to a people who will not hear and preach to them. You know, this is that, the, uh, you know, theological conundrum where we all like, well, how is that fair? You know, they weren't ever going to hear, were they? Well, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we have to understand, in retrospect, looking back, that God is always there. Um, were they asleep? Uh, yes. Was it self-induced sleep? Who knows? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Theologically asleep? Yeah. Aware of God asleep? Yeah. I, I, you know, Lord, please open my eyes is a good prayer, right? Uh, this is really good, too. Second <clears throat> Kings seventeen nineteen says, Yehuda also did not guard the commandments of Yehuda their Elohim, but walked in the laws or man-made laws yeah. of Israel, which yeah. they made. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is, it is. Man-made yeah. 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 laws. Yeah. or Halakha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Anyway, so this, this idea, this, Yeshua was claiming Psalm 119 was about Messiah, which is what they would have claimed. He was claiming then also the title Son of God, which is, that's, that's when we get to Matthew chapter 26, that's the charge of the levered against him, the charge of blasphemy. He does not bring, they do not bring the charge of leading people away from the Torah or being a false prophet. And yet that is what traditional understanding of the gospel is always taught. The reason he was, he was put to death was because he was because he was leading people because he was rightfully leading people away from the wrong way of salvation and that's not true at all he was accused of blasphemy 
and the blasphemy was he took this title this is it this is the charge this is where it happens right here that last week that Passover week Psalm 119 as, or 110 as his as his title and we get this uh, messianic title son of God and this is where the charge made by Caiaphas uh, Yosef and Caiapha later against him um, and then in chapter 24 we see this focus uh, excuse me chapter 23 misprint there chapter 23 this focus of unmasking some of the Pharisees this is the harshest language that we find in Yeshua's uh, longest harshest sermonette teaching that we find in all of the gospels this is uh, this is un, I mean this is basically unscathing this is just bare knuckled uh Criticism. I mean, this is just awful stuff that he's saying to these people. It is. It's just awful. And yet, if you were to compare the theology of Yeshua as and his disciples to the people that he was speaking to, you'd be saying, they're the same group. Now, I'm not saying Yeshua was a Pharisee, but theologically, and his disciples as well, absolutely were very close to them. Very close. Some very important distinctions which are going to come out in this chapter. But those distinctions are not the distinctions that make division like we're talking about. What makes the distinction of division is hypocrisy. Okay? Let's go into it. You have to understand, this is scribes, Pharisees, and hip, uh, hypocrites on your outline. It's absolutely imperative that the context of Matthew 23 be understood. Taking these verses out of context is all, well, first of all, taking any verses out of context in Scripture is, is dangerous. But taking these verses out of context is, context is anti-Semitic. And they have been taken out of context. And that's what we need to be very careful. Traditionally, Christianity has taught that the Pharisees were the enemies of the way. The enemies of us. That is absolutely false. First of all, what does the word Pharisee in the English dictionary say next to it? Just a guess. Hypocrite. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is not what the word means. What does the word mean? We don't really know, but it's probably something akin to being separate. Separate. Well, do you believe that you should be separate from the world? That's what... That's what Peter, a disciple of Yeshua, said we should be separate from the world. Shouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. So why is it being separate and being bad? Well, it's not. And in fact, what we find is a great number of Pharisees in the scripture are actually, are in fact, good guys. They're disciples of Yeshua. Can anybody name one? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nachimon. Actually, Nachimon Ben-Gurion was a famous Pharisee. In fact, so famous that he's mentioned in the Talmud as a very prominent. He was one of the, he was the second richest man in living in the land at the time. He saved the Jews. His, his monetary wealth helped save the Jews in six, from 66 to 70 in the first Jewish war. He's a, he is a, and he's revered by everyone except Oddly enough, us, because all we want to do is go to John chapter 3, and we don't recognize that he's a disciple of the Master all along. All along. Now, calls him a seeker disciple, so some people kind of hold their nose up against him. And I was like, well, yeah, but he's a seeker disciple. Well, Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee. Yeah, there are prominent Pharisees. We're going to find out there's prominent scribes, there's prominent chief priests that are members of the way later on. This is a movement that by the time you get to Acts chapter 21, almost half of Jerusalem are members of the sect of the Nazarene. That's pretty remarkable. Yeshua's point is polemic. His arguments in Matthew 23 against scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Not all scribes were Pharisees, not all Pharisees, scribes, and not, and, and not all of either were hypocrites. What's he doing? He's not lumping everybody. He's not being stereotypical. Oh, you Pharisees, you're all like this. He's talking about scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And his own disciples he has described as scribes and as wise men. So he's obviously not speaking against his own disciples, is he? Go to chapter 23, verse 1, and we'll start. I have laid this out, and if, you, if we don't get through all the way through this, I encourage you, I really strongly encourage you to always take chapter 23 of Matthew and overlay it against the blessed or the Beatitudes, the ashray statements of Matthew chapter 5. Because there are eight woes, or leha, woe to you, here found in Matthew chapter 23, and there are eight ashrays, blessed, or blessed are you 
from Matthew chapter 5. There are remarkable comparisons, and there's something that we can gain from this by looking at both the negative and the positive. Verse 23, chapter 23, verse 1. Then Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and said to his disciples, saying, Scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works for what they, for they say and do not do. This is a serious... Does anybody believe in the authority of Yeshua to command his people to do something? You know what he just commanded his people to do? Listen to the Pharisees. Okay, who are the modern Pharisees? So everybody talking against the rabbis, well, the rabbis, I would never do what the rabbis tell me to do. I mean, I'm sorry, they're Messianic Kirites who think that the rabbis are the bad guys. And some of them are. But what did he just tell them to do? He just told all of his followers to listen to what they, what they say. Do what they, do what they tell you to do. Uh, I'm sorry, that, that, is, that is a far stretch from anyone, uh, well, I shouldn't say anyone, almost anyone's practice today who claims Yeshua as their master. Right. It's this. It's this. How many of you follow, now I can, please don't take this wrong. How many of you follow the Orthodox Haggadah this last Passover? <laughs> I did. 14 steps, well, 15 if you combine two. I'm not bragging. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? That's exactly why I did it. That is exactly why I did it. Now, don't start picking up all the traditional stuff and doing everything. That's, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is, it ought to almost get your attention when you go, well, what's wrong with it is what I ought to ask. If there's not something wrong with it, maybe I ought to think it actually might be good. Now, you guys know that I have a nice art scroll sedur, orthodox. There are things in the Art Scroll Orthodox Siddur that I cannot pray. Kabbalistic things. I can't have anything to do with because they border on they border on the very least. They border on the occult. But does that mean that all the things in there? No, there's scripture in there. In fact, most of the prayers are scripture. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. So why would I reject it? The point is that when you look at the disciples of Yeshua, they actually follow this command. Watch in the book of Acts. When, when Yeshua opens up, when, when you open up the book of Acts and you start reading the book of Acts with this in mind, think about, they sit in the seat of Moses. Do what they tell. Find the times that they dispute the leadership. And you'll find there's very clear reasons why. But all the other times, they don't. In fact, Paul, when he's brought up to trial in Acts chapter 22, he makes this big deal about saying, whoa, I didn't know you were the, you were the high priest. If I'd known you were a high priest, I wouldn't have said anything. Right? In defense of himself. Right? They, they are actually, you follow this, and it's very remarkable. In fact, if Yeshua's disciples... Let me rephrase that. If the descendants of Yeshua's disciples, specifically, not to be offensive, but the Gentile descendants of Yeshua's disciples, two generations later, if they had listened and followed the instructions, there would be no split between Christianity and Judaism today. Because the command is, they sit in Moses' seat. They have the authority. He did not teach the starting of a new religion. In fact, Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, ought to cause everybody to rise up short of wherever they were going and say, we need to re-examine this. How is it possible that we could have gotten so far apart? Is Yeshua the one that did it? No. He identifies his own... Excuse me. Uh, go, to, go to chapter 4. Actually, let me keep, keep, keep reading. Therefore, observe what they tell you to do. Observe, to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will, will not move them with one of their fingers. What are the heavy burdens? What are the heavy burdens? Go to First John... Actually, go to De- Deuteronomy 30 first. Heavy burdens. It is a good scripture. All scriptures are good scripture. Deuteronomy 30. 
You can't ever go wrong with Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's always a wealth of good stuff there. Yeshua quotes from Deuteronomy a lot too. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you. What verse? This is, I'm sorry, verse 11. I apologize. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. It is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Does anybody recognize these words? Yeah. Romans chapter 11. Paul uses these. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it, hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. What does that mean? That you may do it. It's not hard to understand. Listen, do people do the wrong thing in their, in their attempt to obey God? Yes. Is God gracious? Yes. Don't say, I can't, because I don't understand. Say, I will, and if I'm wrong, God will show me. Yes, Lord. This is the command that Eli gave to Samuel. When you hear him ask, when you hear hear him call your name, say, yes, Lord, your servant hears you. Speak. That's it. Yes, Lord, I obey. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. That's the answer that he expects his servants to do. It's not hard to understand. There are some complex things in God's Word, aren't there? (coughs) Obey me is not one of them. (laughs) Remember what I said. If it takes a theologian to explain it away, beware. (laughs) Go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Lest anyone think that there's a division in Scripture. For this is the commandment of God, that we keep His commandments. Excuse me, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So what do we read about in Acts chapter 15, verse 10? What are we reading about here? It's too heavy for us. The burden which our, which our ancestors placed upon us. Acts chapter 15 verse 10 says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our, father, our fathers nor we were able to bear? That's, that's Peter speaking in defense of, well, what was this discussion? How did Gentiles get in? What's the burden? What's the burden? In, in well, it isn't the law because that didn't run me said it's not right. right. <laughs> well, there's the bait and switch theology. You know what that is. You give people instructions that they can't keep to prove that they need a savior. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good argument. The problem is, it makes God a charlatan. It does. It makes him. In, it makes him into a snake oil salesman. God is not that. He would not tell people, do this and live, if it meant it's death. Well, that's the people, way people read Second Corinthians chapter 3. Do this and live. He really meant it's instruction. It's a condemnation. They couldn't live by it. They couldn't live by it. And they're trying to live by it was, was, was destructive to them. How is that possible? Do this and live. These are words of life he's given us. All of his words are words of life. Why is it possible that these instructions that are too difficult, burdens too heavy to bear, these are the traditions. That's right. But what tradition is it? How did Gentiles get in, specifically in chapter 15 of Acts? How did Gentiles get in? I'm sorry, there's 14 steps. And it is a circumcision. That's the, short, that's the shorthand. Circumcision is only one of those, four, those four steps, 14 steps. That's the Seder. Four steps. <laughs> there's four steps. There's four steps to conversion. Ritual conversion is what he's describing. Why is that a burden too hard to bear? Actually, and why is it a burden for the Jews that was too hard to bear? Why, why is it a burden for Jews? Think about it. Why would it be hard for Jews to have to have this entrance exam that Gentiles were loath to go through? Why would it be hard for them? Imagine this congregation, probably, not to, nobody's counting, but probably 25% Jewish, 75% Gentile. This congregation. What would be difficult if we said everybody needs to go through these four steps? Why would that be hard? Maybe you don't know what would happen if you didn't go through it. You couldn't eat in the presence of each other. You couldn't shake hands. You sure, certainly couldn't give a hug of brotherly love. In fact, what would you have in common? I'm sorry, you're from another family. 
in my family. We're not the same. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, How damaging to that is this call? Israel has been called to be a light to the Gentiles. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says, Because I have set you up as this standard, because you as my obedient people, you will draw nations to you. They'll come and they'll say, What a wise God you have. And they'll want to be a part. And what are you going to say? Sorry. Only for us. That is the tradition that Peter is arguing against. What does he say? Listen, I didn't get it before, but now I get it. God says, if he has included them, why aren't they included? What says Gentiles are dirty? Well, some of us are. but (laughs) Where does it say that Gentiles are unclean? It doesn't. That's a tradition. In fact, it's an extremely important tradition to the Pharisees. Shammai. Huh? Rabbi Shammai. Shammai? Sure. Go away. Hit him with a stick. (laughs) Well, Hallel, well, Yeshua tends towards more towards Hallel. Here, I'll teach you. Stand on one foot, and here it is. It shows us about your purpose, not about you. That's right. Absolutely. Now, being an idolater, is there something unclean about idolaters? Absolutely. And that's the that's the that's Paul. Paul's arguing with that a lot. You see that in Romans chapter fourteen, you see that in in, 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 in Corinthians chapter eight and chapter ten. You see this constant there is this there is something there. The tradition was not based on something wrong. When the Gentiles mix with Jews, what's our experience? They lead us astray. True. So the, the tradition was founded upon something good, a good idea. They came back from Babylon. They said, never more. We're not doing this nonsense anymore. <laughs> they always lead us astray. So they set up, they set up barriers. People of the Great Assembly. If you're studying Perkei Avot, people of the Great Assembly, the first one. First chapter one of Perkei Avot, the Mishnah. What does it say? It says, Our, it, there's three things. Be deliberate in your judgment. And... Help me with this. Deliberate your judgment. Uh, put a fence around the Torah. There's another one. Uh, put a fence around the Torah is the one I wanted to go to. Put a fence around the Torah. It's like uh, raise up many disciples. Be deliberate in judgment. Raise up many disciples. The men of the great assembly said, be deliberate in judgment. Raise up many disciples and put a fence around the Torah. In other words, whatever God's commandments are, let's have a little bit more than that. That way we won't transgress. Well, that's not bad. Listen, that's not bad. That's not bad. They're guarding against it. The problem is when the tradition becomes more important than the commandment. Actually, what's worse is when the commandment or when the tradition replaces the commandment. That's Mark chapter 7. That's Matthew chapter 15. The commandment had overturned the very, excuse me, the tradition had overturned the very commandment of God. So when you move, I'm sorry if there's Easter celebrators in here, I, I apologize in advance, I don't mean to be offensive, but when you move Passover to Easter, that's undoing. It's erasing the commandment of God. You erased it. Let's not have anything to do with Passover, that's the commandment of God. Let's have a new deal. No, it's about the resurrection, it'll be okay. No, it's not okay. That's a replacement. That's a replacement. So these heavy burdens that are placed upon them, this is what the Pharisees are doing. They're placing heavy burdens upon the people. What are those burdens? They are traditions. They're fences. Nothing wrong with fences. Fences are good. But they're fences that obscure rather than reveal the commandments of God. They don't help people keep them. They simply place burdens upon them. So in the end they go, well, what did God really say? I can't figure out what God really said because there's such a layer upon layer of, of tradition, layer of layer of of of, uh, of halakha. And what is, and, and his in his comment is for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works by all, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad. This is the, the front part. He's speaking of this up here, um, on the tefillin, the, the actually totafot, the one that's placed on the head. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. And he's talking about tzitzit. It's like, when you see a man with long tzitzit walking in Jerusalem, don't be going, oh, a Pharisee. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, this is, this is the essence of their religiousness. What can be seen? 
That's right. What can be seen? Well, just like Saul. Yeah. Exactly. What's the difference? Saul, David. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> They're both anointed, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they love the best places in the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. Let me tell you, the Talmud talks about if you go to a wedding feast or you go to a place, don't take the highest seat. That's just what Yeshua said. Why? Because then you'll be ashamed. Just like he should have said. So obviously these people weren't following their own teachings, the ones he's criticizing. Greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Great one, great one. But you, do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher and Messiah, and all you are brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. He's, uh, he's speaking, I believe in literal reading, but I also believe in idiomatic understanding of the text, and he's not saying it's wrong to say, Daddy to your dad and if he's not saying it's wrong to say daddy to your dad then he's not saying it's, he's not saying it's wrong to call someone rabbi who is a rabbi it's not what he's saying and do not be called teachers for one is your teacher the Messiah but, who, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant in other words it's an attitude of mind isn't it who is greatest and in fact the greatest wise men that have ever lived have always been seen as the most humble right? uh, they're the cleaning the toilets after everyone goes home. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and humbled himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes. Here's the first woe. This is uh, on the next page. Uh, chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you. Oi. That's, oi. That's woe. Oi. Lecha. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against your men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who enter to go in. They're door shutters. They shut the door. That's what they do. They close the door so people can get in. That's exactly what we talked about in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. They shut the door so people can get in. Do you know that in the first century... Well, I'm going to tell you, in the first century, because of their proselytizing... Good. This Judaism does not proselytize today, because it got them into trouble. <laughs> it did, and they didn't want to be proselytized themselves, which is understandable and good, I think. Uh, ultimately, good. Um, but they, but they were very, very active in proselytizing. Plus, just the fact that they obeyed God made them a draw for the nations. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy four describes. When people see you keep my commandments, they'll say, "That's a good way to live." Who's this God that you have? In the first century, the court of the Gentiles was three quarters or 150% as big as the temple proper itself. What is that for? There was a a small four-foot wall in the middle of it where Gentiles could not cross over. And if you go to the the, uh, um, the, uh, uh, Israel Museum in Jerusalem, they'll show you a stone. There's an inscription that says, At the pain of death, Gentiles do not cross this line. Small. That is the dividing line. By the way, when you read in Ephesians chapter chapter two, that's the dividing line. That's the line that that separates between those who are in and those who are out. That's the you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The, the word is dogma. It's found in ordinances. You can't dogma. It's not God's commandments. It's not God's commandments that were nailed to a tree. It's man-made commandments that kept people out. Here a Gentile. What is he coming to Jerusalem for? Number one, that's the festival time. Why would he go into the temple proper? Because he's a worshiper of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's being kept out. Why? Because you haven't gone through our four steps. When you go through the four steps, we'll call you a Jew. Well, but I'm not a Jew. Well, but we'll call you one. It'll be okay. You could even marry your former sister because she won't be your sister anymore. Because it'd be a different family. No, that's weird. I'm sorry. I'm Irish, and I'll always be Irish. But I love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do I get in? Sorry, can't get in. Got to become a Jew. How can I become a Jew? Well, there's four steps. Those four steps can't make me a Jew, can they? Yes, they can. That's the argument of circumcision. That's what it is. And it applies to women as well, although women don't get circumcised. The word means conversion to Judaism. To become a Jew. It's not just a religious thing, it's, a, it's an ethnic thing. 
That's why it's wrong if you are a Gentile. Don't be offended by my statement, but I just believe it's very biblical. It is wrong if you are a Gentile in a Messianic congregation to claim Jewishness if you're not Jewish. You can say it's my religion. That's what I say. But you shouldn't say, I'm Jewish. Because God promised the Gentiles would be drawn. Right? So I'm proof. I'm proof that God keeps his promises to Abraham. I'm proof. And I'm, I'm so glad that I can be proof today. What about the remainder of that verse? Which says? After the four steps. So Moses is right in the synagogue every day. That's right. That's right. Don't worry. You'll come along. You'll kind of understand it after a while. But the point is, don't keep them out. Don't keep them out. Don't keep them out. Here they are, they're keeping them out. They're door closers. He says, you shut up the kingdom of God against men and against themselves. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Door closers. They're door closers. Woe to you who will be door closers. How dare you shut up the kingdom of God? Because of your tradition. So the wall was that was wrong. The wall was wrong. How do we keep idolaters out of the temple? It's a holy place. Boy, I know. Listen, don't, don't think that their traditions are automatically wrong. They're founded upon good motivation. It's a holy place. How can we keep idolaters out? They'll think oh, any idolater can wander in here and, and, and pollute the very holiness of this place. That would be bad. How do you deal with it? I don't know. But the point is they were keeping people out by their tradition. By the tradition. What about the blessing? What's the blessing? Ch- chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now imagine those Gentiles, the God-fearers outside the wall. Are they poor in spirit? Look, I don't know. I'm not a part of this family. I wasn't born in this family. But can I worship here? Is that not the attitude of being poor in spirit? Yes. That is what it is to be poor in spirit. To say, I have no claim to this. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You who were separated, you Gentiles who were separated from the commonwealth of Israel, you had no hope in the promises of God. And yet you still came and say, I have nothing to offer. I have no heritage. I have no claim. I have no inheritance. But God compels me to worship Him. Can I have some scraps from the table? The Syrophoenician woman asked. What was Yeshua's response? Yes. If Israel had this kind of faith. That's right. Can I just have the scraps from the table? You Gentiles in Messianic congregations. You need to consider this. Can I just have the scraps? Don't try to take over. Can I just have the scraps? All I want is the scraps. The Gentiles have also been promised land. Absolutely. That's another issue, though. <laughs> you come poor in spirit. You end up rich. <laughs> chapter 23, verse 14. I have no way we're going to get that with this. Chapter 23. Woe to. Chapter 23, verse 14. Woe to you. Olecha. Scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. For a pretense, you make long prayers. They're unmerciful. They devour women's houses. What about... Uh, uh, how do they devour women's houses? Or uh, widows' houses, excuse me. Unmerciful. The very things that God says, can take care of your family, this is what he could accuse them in. Back in Matthew chapter 15. You're not even taking care of your own father and mother. How's that honoring God? Well, we don't have to because we have a tradition that says if I say it's korban, then I don't have to give it to him. I'm giving that to the temple later. After they're gone, I'll give it to them. You know, when I die, that'll go to the temple. But you're not taking care of your own mother and father. Well, same thing in, wed- in widows. What is true religion in the sight of God and man? James chapter 1. Widows and orphans. Sorry. Boy, strong words, aren't they? What's the blessing? The second blessing is to be merciful. You look same thing. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. Ashray, woe are you. Or excuse me. Oileka, woe are you versus Ashray. Blessed are those who are merciful. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 7. The third woe is 2315. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him thrice, excuse me, twice as much a son of hell as yourself. This is that tradition. We're going to make them. We're going to turn them into Jews. Well, that's great, you know, if they're possible, but it isn't. 
So we're going to turn them all into Jews, making them, making Gentiles, including them in this four-part ritual conversion. Uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Hold your place in Matthew 23 and go real quickly to Hosea chapter 6. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. For I deserve mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. This is, this is what's called kalvakomer, light to heavy. This is not a replacement. <laughs> he desires sacrifices. He has said he has. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So like men, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt treacherously with me. They, he wants mercy. He wants mercy on their parts. Um, That's used by reform to say yeah right yeah replacement we don't need sacrifices prayers prayers are sacrifices which they are but uh, Exodus 20, uh, 12 49 there's, there's one Torah this is uh, by the way if you want to know did you participate in Passover can I as a Gentile participate in Passover and the answer is of course uh, in fact Exodus 29 there's others or Exodus 12 49 there's others as well actually invite Gentiles to be a part there are certain requirements absolutely but they don't have to be ritual conversion as Arch Scroll says proselytes they don't have to be proselytes uh, uh, there's one, in other words, there's one law. And he says, there's one law for the sojourner and for the Jew. There's one law. For the Israelite, the native-born, and for the sojourner, there's one law. One law, not two, one. There's one standard of righteousness, God's standard. It applies to all people. It's not just for some people. God is not a respecter of persons. Don't misunderstand this. God is not a respecter of persons. He's going to say, well, here's the Jew and here's the Gentile. God is not a respecter of persons. But he, what, he, what he has done is he has set up a family... And you got to be a part of the family. And you don't get in genetically. And he set up one part of that family to call the rest of the world to it. And they're great. And that's the way that it ought to be. That's the direction it ought to go instead of the other direction. Which is what it looks like. Everybody stop being Jewish. Just be Gentile. Ugh. Don't get me started. Chapter, uh, what's the blessing for making false converts? Peacemakers, so we call sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. They being peace between man and God. Here, Gentile, come across the fence. You have a peace offering? Bring the peace offering to the Almighty. Invitation into the presence of the Almighty. Making peace where the Gentile can make have fellowship with God instead of forbidding them to come or requiring them to follow a set of, of ritual conversion in order to be a part. This is the great test. If you, read the, if you read the book of Acts, you discover quite soon that when everybody has a blow-up in the synagogues where Paul goes to preach, the blow-up is usually in, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? These Gentiles can't come in here. Okay, they can come in, but only if they're about to go through conversion. We're not. Uh, you guys are just letting them in wholesale. No, we can't do that. In fact, that's usually where they get all bent out of shape is when the Gentile comes up. When the topic of Gentiles comes up, that's it. Because that leads to idolatry in their minds. So they set up these traditions. Next, the next row. Chapter was that the first bell I heard. Oh, see, I'm losing my hearing too. Uh, go to the next well is, is uh, was it well chapter uh, well uh, well verse well number five. Uh, 15? No, okay, sixteen. Which one's that? Uh, yes, twenty three sixteen. Thank you. Twenty three. See, I'm glad somebody kept their finger in that part of the scripture. Woe to you, blind guys, who say whoever swears by the temple is nothing. It is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, it is, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it, and all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it, and he who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God. And by him who sits on it. What's he talking about here? They're manipulators. They're making oaths to not have to do what they've said they do. 
these these fine points of O's. By the way, there's well, there's whole there's whole rules to making O's. I mean, long lists of rules of how you can make an O and still get out of it. In fact, Jews today are accused of this with Kol Nidre, all vows, expunging all vows on, on the night before Yom Kippur, which is a false charge. But that's, the, that's what they're accused of. Because this is our tendency. Is it not our tendency to get out of what we say we'll do? Yes, I thought about it later. I didn't want to do it. How can I get out of it? Well, did you say it this way? <laughs> if so, you're not bound by that vow. Do you understand how, 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 how hypocritical that is? We all do it. I mean, we all do it. It is self-deception. It is. So, what is the what is the what is the blessed? The blessed that goes with this. If you are if you are a manipulator, is to be meek. The meek will inherit the earth. See the correlation. Why are you not wanting to pay this? Do what you said you'd do. Because it'll be harmful to you. You've determined it'll be harmful. I sh- I didn't think of it this way. Now, if I carry through this, it'll be harmful to me. And what's his answer? Be meek. You're going to inherit the earth. What's the problem? There's no such thing. Keep your word, even though it harms you, which is exactly what James says. You give to your harm. Keep your word. To your harm. Keep your word. Uh, the next woe is in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. First of all, let me just tell you, these are things that grow wild. All of these things listed are things that grow wild. You do not plant these in gardens like some people do today. These grow wild, which means they are not tithable. I'm sorry, not everything you have is tithable. The scriptures are very clear. The things that are tithable are your livestock and the things that you grow. If you want to transfer them into money, that's fine, you may. And you can give them as offerings or whatever else. And you might even consider that as tithe, but that's not the biblical tithe. The biblical tithe is what you grow or what comes by produce. Uh, Cattle, not by what grows wild. They were tithing that. There's nothing wrong with that. Tithe it if you want. But that wasn't commanded. God didn't command them to tithe those things. And yet what did they do? They neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. That's the verse that's usually left out. That clause. Without leaving the others undone. The weightier things of the law. Is there something greater or lesser? Yes. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy resources. What is the least? Protect the mother bird when you take the child. When you take the baby bird. Don't do it in the sight of the mother. That's the least commandment. Well, traditionally. Think about it. How, how merciful is that? That's pretty merciful, isn't it? And all those ones in between. They're merciful. That's right. Um, move on. That was the first bell. Uh, like, that doesn't matter to me anyway. I don't care about that. <laughs> That's the second one? Oh, great. Y'all could have just let me go on. And <laughs> you didn't have to stop. <laughs> all right. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23. They were imbalanced. Kept only some of the Torah. They neglected the weightier manners. What are we supposed to be like? Chapter 5, verse 4. Mourners will be comforted. Mourners will be comforted. Uh, chapter, the sixth woe is 23-25. Hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. This is repeated in the Talmud as well. These are, these are, out, these are very well-known arguments he's giving here. It's not like this came as a shock to some of the Pharisees. Yeah, we've, we've been saying this about ourselves. In fact, they do. And this is that same thing. Will you clean the outside but don't keep the inside clean? You know, he's talking met- metaphorically. He's talk- using this as a metaphor. But it actually was, was, a, was a common complaint uh, against some. They were hypocrites. Outward obedience. Traditionally, uh, uh, traditionally very, very careful. Yet, inwardly, they were extortionists and they were self-indulgent. They were, in, in, they were more impressed with pleasure. Um, what is it? What is the opposite? In Matthew chapter five, verse eight, to be pure in heart, they'll see God. How rich will that be? To be pure in heart, on the inside pure, the outside will it not be pure? That's what Yeshua said in Matthew chapter seven or Mark chapter seven. If the inside pure, if the inside is pure, will the outside not be pure as well? Absolutely. Start there. Actually, there's nothing wrong with starting on the outside, but don't ever, don't ever, don't ever think that it's that it's a replacement for what's on the inside. Start on the outside, maybe the inside will clean up as well. God can do that; He does. Woe uh, number seven, twenty-three, twenty-eight. We're moving quick now. Even even so, you also outwardly appear righteousness to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy 
Actually, it's not verse. Woe to you, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, you don't obey. What is the opposite? Chapter 5, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is the commandment. This is what Yeshua says. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is not, that is not what he was accusing the Pharisees of doing. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. To be zealous for the law was not the accusation against the Pharisees. That would be, blessed are you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Zealousness for the law is to something to be praised for. It's the zealousness for the tradition that he's taking them to task for. And last, the last low is murders. They don't admit their guilt. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? What is the opposite? Being persecuted for righteousness. Those very prophets who were killed by their fathers. And his own disciples that he's now named will be like those prophets who will be persecuted and their reward will be great. This is a wonderful comparison looking at these woes and these blessings and knowing quite well how it is that we can escape these woes is to go back to the blessings and re-examine what our responsibility to our master is. How we can guard against our very tendencies. He's not naming a group of people that are unassociated with us. He's talking, he's saying, Ori Lecha to a people just like us. Just like many people say, well, that's just legalistic. Legalism is what other people do. When you see what someone else does that's obedient, that's legalism. You yourself do it, right? What we need to understand is legalism is not following God's law. Not following God's word. Legalism is when we replace God's law with our own. And that's what he's challenging them on. They're living by another standard, not God's standard. They're adding to God's words. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you that you have given us this clear instruction, these challenges, these difficult words. May we take them to heart and understand that these are words spoken to us. And be careful that we handle your word carefully. And that in our traditions, that we keep the ones that lead us and point us to you. Put a good fence around your law. But Father, that we abandon the ones that replace or obscure your word. And Father, that we rightfully stand on the, on the firm foundation of what your word clearly says. And we say this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.